Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Hey, uh, welcome to our fourth and final week of this series. Uh, We've entitled the series, Why? And what we've been doing is uh, answering a bunch of questions. We asked you all through the month of January to send in your questions uh, on faith, on Christianity, on this church, on, on whatever it was that that uh, you had questions on, and what we did is we took all those questions through the month of January, we compiled them, and then we tried to plan out all four weeks trying to answer as many of those questions as we could. And uh, so uh, the, the prayer and hope through this entire series, as odd as it's been, having this table up here and four of us sitting here and trying to answer questions and then covering all these different topics every week, I know that can, can kind of sometimes uh, seem like we're shifting gears really, really fast, but our prayer and hope through all of that was that we would create a strong faith foundation here at Mountain View Fellowship, that you would, you would get your questions answered and, and that you would find uh, you know, some scripture basis for that. And, and all, all that we've been trying to do is, is go back to scripture, say this is what scripture says, and uh, build our answers on that. Now, if, if we're offering to you, if it's one of those gray areas or it's not explicit in scripture, we're letting you know that. We're saying, hey, uh, drawing from Scripture, this is how we would answer that, or this is what we believe to be true, and so we've been very clear about that. Uh, but the idea was, we were hoping that you were just getting stronger and stronger in your uh, your faith, your foundation, uh, because we want you leaving here in all boldness, uh, so that you can share with the world around you as well. And so that's the idea behind this series. I know we've heard from uh, many of you. You you said you've been walking with Christ for a long time, but there's always this one nagging question, uh, you know, something you couldn't answer, and so. Uh, you didn't have a format to be able to ask the question. And finally, we have this format. And so we hope that this has been helpful uh, for everyone in the room. Uh, So with all that being said, um, uh, let me introduce everybody up here. Uh, Clear to your left is Pastor Hunter. He's our youth pastor here. He handles our junior high, senior high kids, tries to get them ready before they take off and go to college. Uh, Next to him is Pastor Mike. He's our growth pastor. He handles life groups, discipleship, anything on this spiritual development side is where he operates. And then, of course, uh, the great bearded one next to me here is uh, Pastor Ryan. He's our missions and outreach pastor. So anything evangelistic, anything that has to do with missions around the globe and all, and here at home, he handles all of that. And then uh, my name is Don. I have the honor of being the lead pastor here. And so we are, we are just all thrilled to be uh, having this conversation with you because many times we don't get into these types of questions. And uh, this has sparked a whole other side of you guys. It's been awesome because it seems like every week we leave thinking we've answered a ton of questions and we get twice as many back. And so that's been great. So we don't want, we don't want this to stop here. We don't want it to end. We want it to, to continue. And so keep sending those questions in. So Mike has been emceeing this whole thing, so I'm going to turn it over to him, and we're just going to jump right into it this morning. All right. So we've, we've covered death. Um, <laughs> how about taxes? Should we cover taxes today? No, we'll, we'll hold that off. All right. Instead, let's talk about worship. Um, the question is, coming from different faith backgrounds, why do we use a particular style of worship? Why not hymns? Why not have more solos? I think it's important to 
to understand for for me when I was thinking about this question that that worship is so much more than just the music that we have on Sunday morning. Um, I think we've gotten into the habit of of calling what we do just what we just experienced is the worship part of a Sunday morning. But there's there's actually so much more to the word worship. Um, it's that word in and it of itself is is mentioned over 8,500 times in Scripture, and it's not always related to music. So there's there's that aspect first and foremost. The For me, in looking at it, I, I tend to like words, and so I wanted to know what worship actually means. And some of you probably have already heard, but it the literal translation of the word is just to ascribe worth. And, and how that looks to us as Christians is to ascribe God's worth through our glorifying Him and our, our serving Him, the, the ways that we that we go about our worship might look different, and it's not only going to be through the music. Louis Giglio uh, kind of summed it up real quick. He says, Worship is a response, both personal and corporate, to God for who He is and what He has done, expressed in and by things we say and the way we live. So if I can just be personal, I, I've been raised in a church uh, pretty much my entire life. Uh, my, my early years were spent in the Catholic church, and then after that, I started attending a church up the street from my house, which just happened to be in proximity to my house, and that's the church I ended up at. And so that was a denomination of uh, Free Methodist. And then I went to various other churches while I was at college, whether it be Free Methodist or a smattering of denominations, but definitely have had experience in multiple churches. And in the last 15 years, I've been here at a non-denominational with Mountain View Fellowship. And I can say with, with absolute confidence Worship is different in all of those. And so I think that for you guys, some of you have come from different faith backgrounds. So for you, worship looks different. And, it, and some of that is kind of in the traditions or the, in the styles of worship that we have. And so, um, so to speak into that, it, I think one of the things we try to do is to use Scripture for how we try to speak into these things. And so for me, I want to use Scripture in trying to describe what worship can look like. So in the book of John... Chapter 4 is the story of the Samaritan woman. I believe that some of you who've been in church for a while might know the story. It's the, the gist of it is that this lady is at a well. Jesus asks her to give him some water, and she's surprised that he's talking to her because she's a Samaritan. That's kind of a real quick synopsis of it. But at the very end of it, she ends up talking to Jesus, and she says, Sir, I, perce- I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So in this, the... The lady's a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And, and if you want to know more detail about that, we can certainly talk about it after the, 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 this morning's series. But the, the more important part is that she was saying, the Jews say you were supposed to worship here, and we say we're supposed to worship here. And what it boiled down to was her, their desires. Like, we're supposed the fact is you're, you're worshiping, but it's getting now down to, where do we do it? How do we do it? Um, what style should we do it in? And I think where we, where we land 
on the wrong side of that is when we interject our preference when it comes to worship. So, and I, for, I failed to mention, in all those churches that I've grown up in, um, I've seen worship go from a choir to a worship leader who played a keyboard, and then another instrument was added, and another instrument was added, and then another instrument was added. And, and each time it changed, there was always strife. People were not happy. But I can say with, with certainty that they were definitely not, they were the least happy when the drums were added. Uh, that All hell broke loose when the drums were on the stage on Sunday morning. And, and so, and you're a drummer, right? Yes. Yeah. So I was subjected to a bunch of that. Hey, why are drums now involved in worship? And and the point was that okay, all these things were added. It's still worship, and it's it's it, it's it's a method in which that we're reaching new people who don't necessarily um, understand church. And this is an avenue in which that they can understand it. And so it wasn't so much that. The drums were a bad thing or a good thing. We just wanted to make sure that we were, we were being worshipful. So as this scripture says, that we worship in spirit and truth. So if I'm playing the drums and I'm doing it defiantly, then I'm not worshiping in the right heart. So to speak to the solo part, you don't want to hear a drum solo, honestly. I don't, I don't even enjoy listening to me just play the drums. It's not, it's not enjoyable. There's no melody to it. So we want to make sure when we're, when we're worshiping that we're doing it in Truth and spirit. And so that spirit is the Holy Spirit. When, when we as believers accept Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit then makes known to us how we are to worship or ascribe worth to our Heavenly Father. And one of the ways that that, that is done is in truth. And that truth is in Scripture. When we get into God's Word, the Holy Spirit reveals to us how exactly we can then ascribe that worth to our Heavenly Father. That being said, I would challenge you. Um, when... If you're if you're at a point where you're worshiping and it's not something that you're comfortable, we're we're to ascribe worth to God and and to give an offering to Him. Sometimes maybe take that next step to be uncomfortable and offer to God something that you've not offered before. So worship is really heart posture, right? And then glorifying God. And and there was a question that came in regarding how how can I experience God more? And the thought was through worship. Um. Colossians 3.10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. So experiencing God is anything we can do that draws us closer, that we can know more about him, and particularly on a daily basis. So worship isn't just Sunday morning, it's, it's all of the time. And how can we draw closer to him? Um, you know, we all desire kind of those mountaintop experiences, you know, where, where something happens in our life and the clouds part and sun shines down on us and everything. But the truth is, as we talked about last week, we also go through a lot of valleys in our life where we're tested, where there's suffering, where there's things that we have to deal with. And I really think the order is that what happens in the valley allows the mountaintops to actually happen. That when we're in the valley, that's when we draw closer to God. That's when we we have some spiritual disciplines that we've talked about some of the other weeks. Um, that allows those mountaintop experiences to actually happen for us to recognize them and participate in them. Um, A.W. Tozer said, the whole transaction of religious conversation has been made mechanical and spiritless. We have almost forgotten that God is a person, and as such, our relationship can be 
can be cultivated with him as any person. So um, something I, I read a while back just said, you know, your best friends, what do you do? You just get together and waste time. So maybe the best thing we can do with God is to get with him and waste time, right? Not always come with an agenda, not always come with a lot of lists of things, but just spend time with him. Um, anyone can date God, but the truth is the wise people are the ones who marry him for life, right? To actually cling to him and, and develop that. So one of the ways we can experience him is to figure out our style of experiencing him. Um, we, we've been talking, uh, as we've been sharing things, we try to share things that are biblical in nature, biblical law, we can call it out directly. What I'm about to share with you is something we, we throw under what's called biblical principle, which means I can't point to a specific verse on, on these things I'm about to share, but when we step back in Scripture and we look at the whole of Scripture, I think you'll see a pattern, and that's what I'm going to be talking about. And the pattern has to do with what are called the sacred pathways. They're, you know, God created each of us uniquely. Ephesians 2 says that we're his workpiece, we're his masterpiece, we're different. And we're going to connect to God in different ways. And each of us have a mix of these pathways that we, we connect with him and are able to see him. One of those pathways is being a naturalist. In other words, being out in nature, going on a hike, walk, looking at a sunset, that may draw you closer to God. Um, some people, that's, that's what they need to do. They need to get outdoors, and, and that's how they can experience him best. Some are sensates, which means that you love God through your senses. When we look at scripture, um, uh, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, when you read his, his book, it's huge about all of the senses. All of the senses are throughout. That's how he was experiencing God. And so maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need some sights and smells and things to be able to experience him. Another is traditionalist, loving God through ritual and through symbols. Um, the Ezra, another, another one of the biblical characters, he was a traditionalist. A lot of churches are traditional in nature. You know, you go to a liturgical church, and they always do things in the same order. People like that. It doesn't mean that our style is better or worse. It's just that some people are going to connect to the traditional style better. Some are aesthetics, which means you love God in solitude and simplicity. Um, John the Baptist was an aesthetic. It doesn't mean you have to wear camel hair and eat locusts. Um, you can do that, I guess. I don't know. Anybody no. ever do that? <laughs> uh, not me. Oh, really? Okay, way to go. We're talking. Good later. job, Robert. Um, but, you know, sometimes just getting away from everything and that simple minimalist thought process brings you close to God because there's not as much around you. Activists, that's another pathway, and that's loving God through confrontation. And it just doesn't mean being in somebody's grill. It really means about confrontation in terms of bringing out God in a situation. And really, almost all the prophets were, uh, were activists, such as Elijah. So, yeah, social justice and, and pursuing that. Another one is caregiving. There are some people that when they are serving others or nurturing others, taking care of the sick, the widows, the orphans, that's when they feel closest to God, like Mordecai in the book of Esther. Another pathway is enthusiasts, um, loving God with the mystery and the celebration. Uh, King David is the best example of that, you know, his wild abandonment in worship of God. Um, so maybe that's what you need to do is get wild in the, the aisleways during worship. I don't know. Uh, contemplative is another one, loving God through adoration. 
and kind of, you know, being with God and around him. Uh, the disciple John is an example of a contemplative, and his book is probably the more contemplative of the Gospels. Uh, and the last one is intellectual, loving God through your mind. So reading and learning and growing, um, Solomon was that kind of way, using that wisdom. Um, that's how you connect. And so the thought is you have these nine different pathways, and maybe as I read them, one or two of them or a couple of them jumped out at you. So those are things for you to pursue. And we may, as a church body, be able to hit some of those on Sunday morning. It'd be difficult for us to hit all of those, and we try to mix it up and kind of hit some of them from time to time. But the point is, is that if you're going to worship God and prepare your heart to be in his presence, that's something you have to do all the time. And so worship outside of church, use those pathways. And just to be clear, Mike, you're not saying that uh, that we should worship like nature, worship these things. Like every one of them could be taken too far. Like there's a point where being traditional is taken too far and we're no longer connecting with God, correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Each one of these can be abused, right, and, and gone too far. Um, but the point is you're using them to connect to God. You're using these different styles to further your relationship with him. And if uh, I went through that list pretty fast, if you're interested in finding out more of those about it, um, we actually have a class coming up called Expedition, which is a discipleship class. But the beginning of it, we spend quite a bit of time talking about these different pathways and, and ways that you can also Im Im impact your own walk. Um, so if during the week we're supposed to be worshiping and getting ready, what is our responsibility for worship on Sunday? Well, I think you hit a lot of it. You know, just getting ready for Sunday makes a big difference when it comes to Sunday. Uh, one of the questions uh, was written kind of like, well, uh, you know, do I have to attend church on Sunday to be a Christian and, and different questions like that. And, and uh, we just kind of summarized uh, several of them with what's our responsibility on Sunday. And uh, I, I like the question, you know, when it's phrased, you know, do I need to attend church? Because in that question, we kind of get it backwards. And the idea is, and I, and I want you to leave with this, is um, I don't think you can attend church because you are the church. And so maybe we need to you know, change our, our focus just a little bit. Uh, the idea is we want you to be the church. And so what's the responsibility on Sunday? It's to be the church. Uh, part of uh, this walk that we have with Christ is living out this walk and then being Christ-like, trying to become more like Christ every day, uh, loving other people, loving the community around us, and demonstrating God's love by serving one another. And these things all, all are, we give opportunity for this every Sunday. Um, I, I like Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Some of your translations would say, uh, do not neglect the assembly. That's the idea that we are supposed to be gathering like this periodically. We need to get together. Sunday is just the day that we pick. Some people go to church on Thursday night. Some go Saturday night, whatever it is. But the idea is don't neglect the assembly. Why? Because you need other believers in your life. Uh, we talk about the each other verses, right? There's like 32 of them, that, uh, things that we're supposed to be doing for one another that you can't do on a boat right? You can't do it by yourself uh, up in the mountains. You can't do it. So the idea is, yes, can you worship God? Yes. And Mike just went through a whole bunch of ways that you can, you know, even connect with God on a deeper level. But the idea is we're still supposed to get together and, and fulfill a lot of what Ryan talked about earlier in that worship part of, of corporate worship. 
I believe that there's something incredible that happens. It says where two or more gather, that God's in their presence. When God's body comes together and we are unified in prayer and song and thought, it's just incredible how God moves and works in minds and hearts when that's going on, not only in the believers, but also in non-believers. And so we're preparing for Sunday, one of the things I want you to do is not only worship all week long, like Ryan said, but I want you to prepare your hearts and, and be ready to come in here on a Sunday morning. My, my hope is this. When I grew up, it was like, I don't want to go to church, right? This is what we do a lot of the time. And, and I don't want this church to be that way. I always said, if you're not having fun, you know, we're doing something wrong. Like, this should be fun. We should be excited about coming. This should be the best day of the week because we're coming in and, and gathering together to be strengthened and built up and, and encouraged and, and challenged. Uh, th- this should be a great day. We should be excited about coming in here. I-, I want you to get to a place where every Sunday morning, you can't wait to get here. Like you get here early and you come in here early. Um, the way it works, I think, because we have an enemy that works against us so often is that you know we're like, well, I don't really want to go. We get out of bed late and then because Sunday is one of the only days we have off. And then we have a fight in the car on the way here, you know, and we check the kids in and something's not working with the check-in. And then by the time we get in here, we're 15 minutes late, you know, and then the pastor says something that ticks us off. And then we leave here angry, right? And we're like, I don't understand why I'm not getting anything out of Sunday. And a lot of it is preloaded. Like it's what we do all week long before we get here. The way I like to look at Sunday is Sunday is like a family mealtime. We're all gathered around the table. You remember this when you were in school. You'd invite one of your school buddies over to come to your, your family home to eat a family meal at the family table. Do you remember this? And like they were the outsider. They would walk in, the whole family. We didn't change anything because this friend is here. Uh, they just got to, they got to get a glimpse of what it's like to be a part of that family. And so as we invite friends to come to church with us, I want this to be kind of like the family meal. They get to sit in on a family meal and enjoy it and see what the body of Christ really looks like. And that should be exciting, not just for us, but everybody else that walks in here. And so my prayer and hope is that, that from here on out, you'll, you'll make this a priority. You'll, you'll get involved. You'll get plugged in and, and get excited about church and be here early and take part in that. And, and one of the things that I always say at the end of each service is, Go out, pour yourself out for the world around you, and we'll see you back here next Sunday. And I mean that, because what we should do is leave this place, because it's not about this. This isn't, this isn't where it happens. It happens out there. That's where God moves and works in us and grows us and uses us. And then I want you pour your, to pour yourself out all week long. And then when you come in here, we gather, we worship together, we, we study together, we're challenged together, we encourage one another, we're built up, and then we're sent back out to pour ourselves back out again. And if you do that, I guarantee you Sundays will be completely different for you. Uh, as somebody who works with middle schoolers and has to explain something five times in three different ways, uh, <clears throat> just to be sure I've gotten all of this correct, Ryan is talking about worship is really about our posture and about our relationship with Christ more than it is about what's actually happening on the stage, and Mike brought up that we should be worshiping all week long, and there's lots of different ways that we can worship. In fact, each and every one of us is built with a propensity to worship in a particular direction. And then Don's saying that we should be coming back here empty so that we can celebrate and be refilled on Sundays. Do I have that kind of right? I would if agree. I was to summarize it that quickly. And if you do that, everything, it's going to change. It's going to change.
So Sundays, worship, learn, serve, give, bring others, be early, park out, sit in, and don't be a consumer. Be part of it. Right. Okay. All right. A um, little tougher question. Are Muslims and Jews going to be in heaven because they are worshiping the same God? Um, I, I love these kinds of questions. Uh, the way I connect with God the most is, is being an intellectual. So learning about him is really what makes me feel close, like understanding his word, understanding um, just different religions, understanding all kinds of things, and, and I love philosophy. Um, but one thing that we need to understand about this question is that uh, they don't worship the same God. So in, in short, uh, the answer is no. Um, and if I'm to explain that uh, just very briefly, here's, here's what I would say. Uh, Islamic people worship the God Allah, and Allah is, is a very distant, removed God. Um, looking at the history of Islam, it's, it's very, uh, it totally depends on who you're listening to tell the story as to what their history looks like. Uh, just the general gist of it is... Uh, uh, there was one guy who received 66 revelations over his lifetime that nobody else was a part of, uh, and he wrote those down, and that's what started Islam. Well, after his death, Islam became split, and it split again, and it split a fourth time, and so now we have all different kinds of Islamic uh, denominations, if you will, um, and all of them fight with each other over what the correct way was. So Allah was never actually part of, of Yahweh, which is who the Jewish people worshipped in the Old Testament. Uh, that being said, uh, Islam is also a very works-based religion. Uh, you don't get to know Allah until you are sitting before him after your death. Uh, hopefully, at that point, you've done enough to grab his attention, and he approves of you, because if not, uh, your meeting with him is going to be fairly short before you go a different direction. Um, and that's, that's Islam. So, and then we, if we turn to Jew, uh, Judaism, what we would see is that uh, they worshiped Yahweh in the Old Testament, and that is who we worship today. Um, the difference is there were so many prophets that came along and prophesied about the Messiah. The Jewish people really believed that the Messiah was going to be somebody who took this earthly kingdom back. And that is the key word there, earthly kingdom. The Jewish people were very focused on having their promised land back for their people but if you look at the Jewish history, if you look through the Old Testament, and you don't even have to do so very carefully, you see that God never intended Judaism to be exclusive. Um, but the Jewish people were so intent on having their land, their people, their everything, that they missed Jesus. So all of the prophecy, the entirety of prophecy in the Old Testament, I know somebody asked about that, uh, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I think last week we kind of talked about the odds of anybody just doing six of those. But uh, basically, what happened after Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again, uh, we see the split. We see the people of Judaism who said, no, Christ was not the Messiah. And then we see us as Christians who recognize Christ as the Messiah. And that caused uh, us to split directions. Now, the Jewish people only believe in Yahweh. Um, whereas we as Christians believe in uh, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Christ himself. Um, there's one other thing I'd, I'd like to add just very quickly. Um, Christianity is the only religion in the world 
that says that we can't fix what we are, that we can't fix our own sin. Every religion, everywhere else, every other God, everything that exists on this earth all says that there is so much work you have to do, and when you die, hopefully it was enough to get you into heaven. Uh, Christianity is the only religion that says it doesn't matter. The sin has separated you from God, but Christ's sacrifice reconnects us with God. God literally said, you, there's nothing you can do to fix yourself, so I'm going to fix you for you. Uh, and because of that, we have a grace-based relationship with Christ, with God and with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, every last one of us who believes in Christ and that sacrifice is going to end up in heaven. We don't have to fret about that. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to have questions about that. We, we're going to heaven. So please, dance in the aisles. I don't, I don't know. Did that kind of sum it up? Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody in between services that um, was pretty upset with with our take that, that Muslims and Jews are not going to heaven. Um, and their thought was, you know, they're, these are people that are devoted to God. They're following God. It makes sense that a just God would let them in. Um, and my answer to them is just really simple, that um, we only know one way to heaven. If we follow what Scripture says, it's very, very clear. I mean, Jesus' own words, John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So just, just taking that statement alone, it's, if, if we believe that what Jesus said was true, no one who doesn't follow Jesus gets through. It's a pretty simple thing, and yet it is hard. And um, if you're struggling with that statement, which, again, makes it seem like Christianity is incredibly judgmental, intolerant. I mean, there's a lot of different words that are said about that. Um, my thought is, I'm glad that you are getting broken and upset that some people aren't going to heaven. Because that will put you in action to reach out to those people. That there is a loving God that they can come to know, and it's through Jesus Christ. That's the only emergency exit is Christ. We had two people just send in uh, just very brief statements. Uh, Messianic Jews, I do believe in Christ. They're, they're called complete, uh, completed Jews, um, and they still practice the, te- the things in the Old Testament uh, along with believing in Christ. And then somebody asked if Mormons are Christian. They are not. Uh, Mormons believe vastly different than what Christianity does um, and they will say things that sound very similar. Uh, they say that they believe in Jesus Christ, uh, that he died, um, and that he has spoken to them, but they do not believe that his death was for forgiveness of sins, and they don't believe that he physically rose from the dead. There's a very big difference there. Uh, they also believe that in, in their religion, everybody goes to heaven regardless. Um, so, how how I can stand under my statement of we're the only religion that can be confident in that is Mormons have multiple levels of their heaven. And if you are Mormon, you have a chance to get into a much better level of heaven. Otherwise, the level that we'd end up at being non-Mormon is very much like we're already in right now, um, just eternal life. We're getting a number yeah. of questions from you all, which is great. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, Asking about other denominations, Catholics, different things. Come see me after. Uh, again, the the quick answer on all of this is, 
if you believe in Jesus, if he's your savior and you're yeah. following him, you're developing that relationship, you're keeping it going, and your heart posture is right, you're, you're a Christian, you're in. So are there Catholics that are going to heaven? Yes. Are there Catholics that aren't? Yes. Because some are going through the motions of religion, but not necessarily the relationship with Christ. Are there Christians here in this church that are going to heaven? Absolutely. Are there people who call themselves Christians here at MVF that aren't? Well, some of us may be going through the motions and not having that relationship. So it's all key on Jesus, on you giving your life to him. Scripture says that. That's, yeah. That's in Scripture. So. John 3.16, Romans 10.9. I mean, we can just go through a long list of, of yeah. Scripture that will support that. So, so uh, come see these guys right afterwards if you want more clarification on that, okay? Yeah. And, and like something we're working on in the background, we don't have a date for it yet, but we're talking about having a couple evenings where we have some teaching of basically comparative religions, um, respectfully just going through some different thought processes on who God is and why we think differently and supporting that. We'll let you know. Um, it, we're kind of putting that together, so we'll let you know what that is. Um, so Christianity is all about Jesus. About his, his it's all about the relationship and recognizing that he rose physically from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. Right, and that's Easter. And so, Ryan, what do we need to do to prepare for Easter? It's seven weeks away. They mostly covered it, um, but even in our directed prayer this morning, I talked about the one habit. And just to kind of explain that a little bit, our one habit is, is it's an exercise that we're doing at Mountain View where at 1 o'clock each day we are to be praying for... A, a certain individual that the Holy Spirit's put on our heart to be praying for to to come to Christ. And so I would encourage you as we're working toward Easter, again, continue to be in prayer. If you don't have a one habit or an individual that God's put on your heart, that the Holy Spirit's put on your heart, be praying for that to happen, um, that you would be able to be praying for them to ultimately come to know Christ, but that could be through being invited to Mount View or going to another another church that's closer to them, whatever the scenario, but that they, as Mike is saying, that they come to know Christ, most specifically. And the other would be a, more of a uh, logistical and practical aspect would be we, we want to kind of take care of some things here at the church that, we've, um, that just need to be taken care of. So we actually have a church work day. I'm sorry, my iPad turned off here. It's March 21st um, from 10 to 2. So if you're interested in helping and you, uh, you have a desire to, to fix things, um, we we would love to to have you come and serve alongside us. Make the house look nice before we have all these guests, right? So the one habit, it's, man, put it in your phone. Just start right now. You're 50 days from Easter right now. And so for 50 days, pray for that person that you know God's calling you to reach. So it's uh, 1 o'clock every day. Pray for that one person for one minute. That's all it is. So It doesn't have to be just at 1 o'clock either. That's just, that's kind of the, the, the reminder, mostly, but uh, and, and to be in the habit, you know, just to be making sure that we're praying for them. But one minute, one person for at 1 o'clock is easier to say than one minute at 2 o'clock. Anyway, that, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's why we stuck it at 1 o'clock, just because it's ones all the way across. But, but he's right. You can pray for him 20 times during the day if you want. It doesn't matter. We're just trying to get us into that rhythm of praying for that one, that one lost person that we're called to reach. So. One of the other things that happened at Easter was um, that Jesus started communion, you know, the Last Supper the night before 
his trials and everything. And so this morning, we're actually going to share in communion. So I'm going to ask everybody who, who signed up to, to serve, if you'll head to the back and grab the elements and start passing them. Um, we had some questions on communion, and so as they pass, we're going to go ahead and, and start to answer some of those questions. Um, and one other thing about communion, um, which you may not know, if you're gluten-free, we want to make sure that, that you're able to have communion as well. We always have a gluten-free alternative, and it's on the back table too, so whenever you're pa- they're being passed, you can grab it. Um, so one of the questions was, why don't we have communion every week? Uh, many of you came out of uh, different denominations uh, where they took it every week or they took it once a quarter or first Sunday of the month or whatever. Uh, honestly, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly. I know there are a lot of people that hang it on the one uh, every, you know, once a week. I pull it from, uh, you know, each time that you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And so, uh, but again, we can have that discussion later. What we've done is actually for the first seven years of this church, we took it every Sunday. And what we realized is that uh, sometimes we were rushing through it. Sometimes we just kind of took it and tossed, tossed it back and threw the cracker in and left. And, and uh, when you look at, you know, Matthew chapter 26, Luke 22, and then specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it places a lot of importance on communion. Like it's important. Uh, we need to make sure that we're not, you know, bringing condemnation upon ourselves. That, uh, so we want to make sure that our heart and everything is right when we take communion. And so what we did is after seven years, we said, we're going to shift this. And so what we started doing, and you guys will notice this if you've been around here any amount of time, we only do it when it fits. We only do it if we can spend some time explaining it when it means something, when it ties in to what we're teaching, or we actually have some time to explain it and really focus on it, make sure that our hearts and minds are ready as we dwell on these these symbols, uh, what we call the Eucharist, uh, just reminders of the body and blood of Christ and what he did for us. And so today we have that opportunity, so we're going to spend a little time just talking about it. Uh, should we only do communion at church? And no. The, and the answer is no. no. We can do communion everywhere. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it just talked about the believers doing it whenever they gather together. Um, can only pastors or priests lead communion? And the answer for that is no as well. Well, it's actually kind of yes and no. The yes is um, first, first Peter chapter 2, verse 5 to 9, says that we are a nation of holy priests. So by being a believer... You're already there. So if you want to do communion uh, sometime out of church, you certainly can. Um, just be, you know, it's, it's a sacred thing that we're doing. We're remembering what Christ did for us. And so just treat it respectfully. But I, I certainly recommend that small groups, uh, life groups, Bible studies, um, even if you're your family, you have something that as a family you're doing together every once in a while, a communion is a great thing to do. And then the other question is, you know, do you have to have special crackers and special wine or grape juice or whatever? Um, Jesus used those elements because that was how he was using the, the Passover story and showing that he was completing the prophecy of Passover and what it meant. Um, I, this is a, a Mike belief, but I believe that you don't necessarily have to do those, those exact elements. The thought is, again, remembering what Christ did and using something that's familiar to us to do it. So I'm going to kind of lead us through uh, communion meditation. So once you have your communion, if you don't mind bowing your heads uh, and just kind of closing your eyes, uh, I'm going to make just some statements here. And as I make each one, I'd love for us to contemplate uh, what that means in regards to communion and just what that brings to your mind. Just be in prayer.
Communion is what makes our faith unique. Communion is us admitting that we are broken and in need of a Savior. Communion was Jesus saying that he knows we are broken and that he was going to be that hero for us. Our God is the only one who recognized that we couldn't fix ourselves. So he would do it for us. When Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, he was saying that his body would take our punishment. Go ahead and take the bread. When Jesus said, this is my blood spilled for you, he was saying that we could be forgiven of our sins and our debts by accepting him as our sacrifice. Go ahead and take the drink. Let's pray together. Christ, thank you so much for your willingness. God, as, as a father now, I, I can't express how thankful I am that your sacrifice extends to everyone. I pray that you help each person in this room reach out to those around them to help other people see that you love them in a way that saves them, in a way that brings us into unity with you, in a way that will bring us to an eternal joy. God, I pray for every person in this room that we can start to understand and comprehend fully what your death and especially your resurrection meant for us. Christ, we love you, and on the days that we fail at that, we know that we want to love you. So, Lord, please take the glory and honor that we're able to give to you and put it towards your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.